Hey, everybody. I'm Kevin. I'm Kayla. We love movies. And talking about them. This is the Martini Window. With us today, we have customer fashion stylist with such credits as Riverdale, Surface, and the upcoming Jesse L. Martin series, The Irrational. Joining us today, we have Victoria Stevenson. Victoria, well, nice to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell us a little about yourself. You know, about me. From Vancouver, I have worked in kind of, well, I started off in like the fashion realm and then moved into film four-ish years ago. Worked with clothes kind of a whole life. Right, right. My passion, you know? So, yeah, anything clothing related, anything film related, it's kind of my thing. That's fantastic. Uh, Now, the movie you want to talk about today was the 1996 cult classic, The Big Lebowski from the Coen Brothers. I'm actually a personal huge fan of this movie. I've watched it more times than I can count. I was so happy to watch it again because there's elements about this movie that I tend to catch that I never cast the time before. And to this yeah. day, I watched it again for God knows how many times with Kayla prep this. And once again, piece after piece, I'm just like, how did I never see this the previous X amount of times I've seen this yeah, movie? That's like one of my favorite things. It's like every time you watch it, no matter how many times you watch it, the writing is so good that like there's always something that you haven't seen before. Every single every time. time. Every time. Yeah. I probably watched it 15 times yesterday. <laughs> still, just like, you know, like little things. Like, yeah, no matter how small, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it Something you mentioned to me, Kevin, is when I first watched the, like, and this happened to me. When I first watched this movie, I didn't think it was funny because the way I was introduced to it is this is the funniest movie you will ever see. And then I watched it for a second time, and it was the funniest movie I'd yeah. ever seen. It just wasn't on the first watch because I didn't understand what I was watching yet. And that really is the aspect of this movie that I find a lot of people don't cling on to. And I agree. This is one of the funniest movies you'll ever see the second time you watch it. Yes. The first time you watch it, I did not care for it either. The first time around, I was trying to figure out what the jokes were. And when you kind of see it a second time, you start noticing all the small bits, all the not in your face humor, like all the aspects like that. And then to realize, too, that the joke of this whole story is that you're basically watching a remake of The Big Sleep, but yes. having this rando kind of just walk his way through the plot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing. It's like, it's funny, but it's not necessarily all slapstick humor funny. It's like funny in irony. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of little pieces, like you'll catch little like references to like noir film and stuff in it that like you wouldn't necessarily get like at the very beginning if you're just watching it for it to be like, you know, funny, funny, like Will Ferrell funny or something. But I mean, like you kind of. I mean, that's never. Yeah. And I mean, Will Ferrell style has never really been the Coen Brothers jazz. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I totally see how that's like, yes, people always describe it as funniest thing ever. And it's like, it's very funny, but I wouldn't say it's like in that. I don't know, it's slapstick. Yeah, and like it's not necessarily a Nazi. And I think a connotation comes to mind when someone says the funniest thing you've ever seen. People told me this about Borat, and then I saw Borat, and I was very confused. (laughs) Okay, so the funny thing about Borat is when I first saw that movie in theaters, I will not lie, seeing that theaters was one of the funniest in theater experiences I've ever seen. Now, let's also remember the fact that I was still a 13-year-old boy. (laughs) I was stuck into it at the time, and... I have not found the movie to be very rewatchable as time goes on with Borat. And I, I love yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen. I'm a big Sasha Baron Cohen fan. I thought Who is America was outstanding. Mm-hmm. And Borat as a movie is, is a great movie, but it doesn't have that rewatch value that movie like Big Lebowski does. And I think part of the reason yeah. why is exactly that. The jokes are not coming at you rapid fire. So we're watching this movie at the 10th, 12th, 15th time. We're still finding, finding layered humor exactly. underneath it all. Exactly. 
Yeah, there's the point where he goes up to Jeff Lebowski, the dude, and he says, this aggression just will not stand, man. It, like, does that a little bit. And what I love is that it took me a while to realize that that's in context to something that one of the first few scenes in the whole movie. See uh, President George Bush uh, on TV during the Iraq War or the Gulf War at that time. And it kind of, like, it starts showing you just, like, even this guy who's a pacifist in the middle of this huge point of aggression and his best friend's a freaking Vietnam vet during during the Gulf War. <laughs> and, you know, to see this guy who's so pacifist, and you still notice environmentally, he's still echoing the same things that they were telling everybody else. He just seeing see a different viewpoint. This is a, so I didn't even think about till last night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, exactly. That's, like, the whole thing, which I guess is why it's such a cult classic. Yeah. I mean, it did not do well in theaters, though, right? No, no. I was no. looking last night. Yeah, like, the box office revenue was, like, not... Coen Brothers are weird like that. They have a few movies like that. But yeah, yeah. Because wasn't... There was another one that... I don't know. It, this might be butchered. It wasn't True Grit. Something was like that, too. It was That's really awesome. Yeah. It's, like, another one that just, like, didn't do well at the beginning, but now everyone freaks out. Early Coen Brothers movies have a tendency, I find, to grow their fan base over time. Their first feature they did together was a fantastic thriller called The Blood Simple with Francis McDormand. Mm -hmm. um, love that movie to no end. But now as the, the movies go on, you start seeing shit that can make sense. I mean, Big Lebowski, I will say again, one of the funniest movies, in my opinion, after however many watches. But if you want to see the other side of that coin, just watch Raising Arizona by yeah. Columbus, yeah. where you're basically yeah. watching a Looney Tunes cartoon starring Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one's hilarious. You know, that one, and that is that sort of slapstick, more in your face yes. humor, but yes. through a Coen Brothers lens. Yes. Like, there's a scene in that movie where Nicolas Cage is trying to steal a baby, and it's like one of the, like six babies in this room. And so, but as he tries to pick up one baby, another one crawls up his arm and drops off the bed. So now he has to pick that one up while another one's gotten out of the crib. All of a sudden, he's juggling six babies, yes. trying to get back to the crib while the parents are downstairs, not knowing they're still in the house. <laughs> and it's like, I think that's the sort of comedy people would more so expect they're hearing that when they hear we all the funniest movies ever made but they don't expect it to be is that there's a whole joke in the matter that the way you get introduced to the dude is by him writing a check for 68 cents <laughs> that's not, it's like that's kind of in your face and not at the same time yeah, though, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. no I, I absolutely love that aspect of that movie the Coen brothers have always lived and died by their dialogue and their characters and it never ceases to amaze me to rewatch those old movies by them and see just how ahead of their own game they were because you know, the movies they add out this time, Big Lebowski, Raising Arizona, Hudsucker Prophecy, Blood Simple. I think Fargo was probably the biggest movie. Yes. That yeah. And that was undisputed. Hit yes. theaters otherwise. But Big Lebowski also came out around the same time as uh, the other one with Woody Harrelson, Kingpin. If you ever remember that movie, the very similar bowling movie came out of Taking oh, Amish yes. Guys. Yes. That was a case of a yes. Kenny Phillips situation. And I actually like Kingpin, but it's an interesting aspect of like a twin film scenario that kind of came out around this time. And I have to wonder sometimes, like, it had the immediate success, but there's an actual legal religion based off the Big Lebowski now. To do yes, this. So yes. who really won out on the legacy? <laughs> what, is, what I love about the Big Lebowski is that it's entirely character driven. Oh, yeah. I love, like, as a writer, I love really interesting three-dimensional characters. Honestly, it's probably already out there because, you know, like the internet exists. But if I was going to make a drinking game with this, it would just be every time jo uh, um, John Goodman brings up Vietnam. Oh, my God. Can you want to die about Paul Poison? I'm so proud of the ways he's able to bring up Dom. I don't know about Vietnam, Walter. Oh, like, damn. Yeah. 
uh, literally kills me. <laughs> if it was made today, there would be a woman who counted me saying, I'm sorry, sir, this is a Wendy's. Yeah, literally. Well, they kind of do. He's inside of the dye house. Like, <laughs> You have to, you have to keep it down, or not be so bald, or anything. Fuck that! I'm just keeping my coffee. I'm drinking my coffee. No, but you met her right there. Is basically, sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> and it's like I didn't use my brains. Like a little it's just like a bunch of old people at this diner, like trying to have their midday coffee. And what I love about this too is like he truly feels. You can tell what he's saying. Like he truly feels he's speaking for everybody. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, yes. like he, it's like. He thinks, he thinks everyone in this room is behind me. You know what I mean? Like, yes. you can tell that John Goodman has such small ways of showing these sort of emotions. I, I love John Goodman. Behavior is very like, sir, I am, Amer- I am an American consumer. That is exactly yes. his mentality in this movie. Yes. How dare you not treat me like royalty? Yes. I, you know, I love John Goodman. And I love the way the Coen brothers have always written and directed his characters. One movie I love in particular is Oh Brother, Where Are uh, which came out in 2000. So that's also Coen brothers. Same guys that did Bill Lebowski. And, John Goodman has this role in there. He only, he's only in two scenes, like two or three scenes in the movie mm-hmm. called uh, Big John, is his name? <laughs> he goes by John and uh, he goes, my name's John, Big John, as uh, as everyone calls me. I can help you out right here and blah, blah, blah. I already got some money. Well, I can show you a thing called Salvation of the Lord. And so he takes <laughs> the prisoners to the street for a picnic for trying to uh, steal their $100 they just got for this recording they did. Bang. And it's just this moment where he's there for two scenes and the impact he has in this yeah. movie is crazy. And the Coen brothers just know how to do this with John Goodman. And, like, he's in this show I love called The Righteous Gemstones on HBO. He's fantastic. And I highly recommend Such anybody else. It's fantastic. The season season three just started so far. My rain is not. <laughs> <laughs> but with John Goodman, though, what I've always found is that people have a tendency to try to write him into these uh, very stoic, very kind of like, yeah. more like kind of like undertoned. But the Coen brothers have never been afraid to have John Goodman be gonzo and have him be big and yeah. so you see him in this movie you see him raising arizona you see him oh brother where art thou and they're seeing the fred flintstone that we all saw that got into that yes. movie you're like yes. well how can we use this for other genres and it comes so well in this movie too where uh yeah these rants about vietnam it happens like five six times in the movie and it never stops being funny it's just exactly. this guy knows exactly. how to sew it exactly and the got the stuff with donnie the stuff with donnie <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Donnie. You should allow him to fuck you a little bit, Donnie. <laughs> it's like, he's <laughs> like, when he's actually out here about that little boy. And then they're like, shut the fuck up. Oh, what day is it? Like, it's so good. What's all? What's all? Don't worry, Donnie. You'll be fine. Are those Nazis? No, they're not Nazis. They're not. Let's leave you a It's so good. It's so unfortunate because nothing happens to him except he does get the heart attack. I know. And then he does. He's like, the one they throw the ashes. Oh, he's and the eulogy is about Vietnam. Like you said about Vietnam. It's so good. It's so good. Like it's such a parody just on like life. You know, like my favorite scene is Julianne Moore's Oh my. I love Wadla Bowski of this. The scene, this one will never fail to make me laugh, where he's getting like the dude is he's finally getting into that kind of like detective mode right and he's at um what's his name's house the porn jackie treehorn yes he's at jackie treehorn's house and jackie treehorn takes the call and goes in the bedroom and writes on the pad and then the dude gets up and shaves on the pad and it's like a stick figure with, with a big dick and it's like it's like the pieces just like art pieces 
for it, like for him. Like it's just not. Like it's it's like somebody tr- who is trying to behave like they're in a detective noir, but nothing's working. Exactly, exactly. Which is, I guess, where the irony is from. Like kind of what the plot was based on. It's just like he's trying to detect this, but like I love really, it. irony is all over the movie. Though but it makes sense, basically. But like the irony at the end of the movie, I think it's absolutely hilarious that the big Lebowski who was trying to play him the old time is now essentially going to have a grandkid and be tied to him forever with the bomb DNA that he hates. It was his daughter and it was his kid. He will never get rid of this Lebowski because he's already like infiltrating his life on such a deep level in a way he doesn't realize. Yes. Yes. No, that's... So what you're saying is the bums, in fact, did not lose. No. Let's remember he says that to him, the bum was lost, Lepowski. You're tied to this. You know, that little bit? Yeah. Oh, my God. I have another actor, by the way. He's done a few things for the Coen brothers, and they just knew yes. how to write it. He's, yes. the, uh, he's the Republican uh, Republican mayor going for re-election in a brother where I'm Oh, yeah, I see that one. And then when John Goodman's character pulls him out of his chair, and you just hear the head out of his I know that was But he kind of deserves it because he's such an a hole. Yeah, he's such an a hole. He's a condescending a hole. The dude's not hurting anyone. The dude's not the dude bonds, man. Yeah, the one who like bonds. And it's just this guy's constantly just getting more and more shit throughout this movie. Like his house is just getting progressively more trash oh. as it goes off. Scene in the scenes is another one that kills me every time. Where like it just shows how freaking incompetent the dude is. Okay, like he's like nailing down the board in front of his door <laughs> so that they can't get in, or because he like he like does it the wrong way. It's not just that. Did you see how he nailed the board? He put something worse nailed off ever. But it's like, literally, he, like, thinks it's, like, he, like, puts the chair up. It's like, oh, okay, this will work. And then someone walks in, and the door just opens the other way. It's like, that is life. I love stories about gross incompetence in a high-stress, high-stakes situation. Yes, like, it's so... It's like a divine comedy of just, like, it's how hilarious humans are yes because no matter how good we get at something i guarantee we've all done something really stupid we're like in reality too this time around i was thinking about it and i always thought well if he didn't have walter he probably would have been totally fine throughout this whole situation but then the more i think about it he was being set up by jeff lebowski in the first place if he didn't have walter's constant annoying intervention in this movie he'd probably be dead or in jail dead or in jail yeah or you know justice johnson it's so funny. It's like their whole like stupidness and incompetence is like kind of what protects them throughout the whole. Yeah, there was this. Uh, there was a show um, that lasted three seasons. It was a revive. It was a reboot of the show DuckTales. And uh, I, I am a 31 year old man loves this animated series. So, so we, we binged DuckTales or court. So there's a line in the in the series finale though. Um, Scrooge McDuck's uh nemesis, Guy Glumgold, always making stupid plans to try to beat Scrooge McDuck, blah, blah, blah. But there's a scene where there's these attacking forces coming try to, uh, to try to take over, and they decide to go with Glumgold's plan. And I think this one quote from the show really speaks a lot about Lebowski. He says, um, they said, oh, well, we're beating all of our plans. He goes, well, I've got a plan. All right, well, we'll travel the smart ones. I guess we may as well travel one of the bad ones. And at the end, he says, Oh, you were prepared for our brightest, but you weren't prepared for our dust. Because <laughs> you can't predict. Yes. 
can't predict that. It's like beginners luck in gambling because people yeah. don't know what they're doing. So they're a wild card. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's it, it's absolutely true. And you know, one thing I want to say Gold has more sharks than yeah. gambling does. But one thing I want to say though is like with Big Lebowski, I talked about earlier how you're effectively looking at a remake of the Big Sleep yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. Not fully. It's not a one to one, but it's it's definitely uh, even right there on the name. The references yeah, there, yeah. but you know, but the Coen brothers have a tendency to do this. They did this again with the movie I mentioned a few times. How Brother really worked out, which is, mm-hmm. in that case, it was an adaptation of the uh, Homer's Odyssey set in Dust Bowl era America with three ass Kongs. Yeah, yeah. Um, in this case, in this case, we're seeing what happens when you try to take the down on his luck sentiment to, uh, of a dude that you would see in a noir movie, and what happens if you set that in 1990s Gulf War uh, era LA. Mm-hmm. And I love that because. What you're getting when you get characters like Walter and the Dude, there are these archetypes of characters that exist in other movies. Maybe not so much to the level of the Dude. The Dude in any movie in the 1950s would have been some sort of criminal who doesn't care, right? In this movie, it's just a pacifist. Yeah. But it's fascinating to me to see how the way the plot develops, the way one thing leads to another, whether acts on another, it's all right there in the bones of Phil Noir. All of it, right down to Maud Lebowski. She's more, she, in any other movie, she would have been a femme fatale, but in this case, you know, she was stoking them out for his genetics. They <laughs> love something you actually pointed out to me in the in regards to her character is that she's such a feminist. The reason she wants to sleep with him is she'd never have to change the name of the child because it's the same last. That's another thought. She's there will never be an argument because there'll never be an argument in the mid '90s about the kid's last name. <laughs> I never thought. See, yeah. Different other things. Yeah, it gets hilarious on a level. That's so true. (laughs) I love her commitment to sticking it to her father. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when you find out that she's the one basically like funding her dad. Like her dad wasn't the big Lebowski, wasn't even the big Lebowski. It turned out she was the one running things the whole time. And I love how that's not this like big reveal or this big, she just kind of slips it into the conversation. It's just like, oh shit. So that guy's, uh, that guy doesn't have anything. Okay. And it's not made into this. Oh my God, this changes everything. It's yeah, just like, yeah. yeah, my dad just, you know, I give my dad an allowance. He gives his wife an allowance. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, again, with irony, it's kind of ironic that uh, the rich guy is essentially a mooch. In fact, he's more of a mooch than the LD. Yeah. He's more of, he's, yeah, he's more of a mooch than the dude. Yeah. He kind of is. I mean, all the dude wanted was a rug that he rightfully should have gotten. I mean, even though there might be something to be said that every time somebody pisses on a rug, it's not exactly Jeff Lebowski's fault. <laughs> I just love that whole oh, justification. So, so, so you're going to tell me that every time someone pees on a rug in this entire city, I'm the one who has to flip the bell. It's like, I, I just love the straw man argument that comes out of that. <laughs> yeah. That's so, good. so good. It feels like every character is kind of, kind of a comedy of errors. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. different ways. Everyone's incompetent in some way, even if they're a great hitman. There. Yeah. I mean, except Donnie. Donnie doesn't really have a lot of confidence. He just doesn't shut the fuck up. Yes. <laughs> Donnie is like today's description of an airhead. Just yes. like no idea. Which is another great movie to see. Yeah, I haven't seen one either. Wow, I sound uh, like not. It's all good. Uh, yeah, him, him, right? Me, person. You send all he's been working on him. Well, that's true. Actually, yes. that's very true. Again, to give you an idea of airheads, of what era of movies this came out, it starred Adam Sandler, Steve Buscemi, and Brendan Fraser as a uh, rock band, and Brendan Fraser was the star. Oh, to give you an idea of when this was. Okay. I've definitely seen stuff. Yeah. I know what it, I just, um, 
Very fun movie. Highly recommend. Came out around the same time, I think, actually, as this. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I, what I really do like in particular is a heavy structure to this film. Like, like you, frame the narr- you frame the narrator, Sam Elliott, you know, who I have come to the conclusion has always been 70 years old. Uh, <laughs> he looks the exact same in this movie from almost 30 years ago, like he does now. And uh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah, like Patrick Stewart. I, I, I swear, Sam Elliott was born with a white mustache. Um, but what I'm going to say, though, is like his role as a narrator in this is pretty fascinating to me because you're never really certain if he's... Uh, a part of the dude's thought thought process. If he's actually the narrator coming in, I've always read this one theory online that uh, he's the narrator who's stealing the need to uh, get the story moving forward, mm-hmm. which is why he intervenes at one point with Lebowski inside of the bull- inside of the bully alley. Because otherwise, we don't have any real context to Sam Elliott's character. Mm-hmm. I, I, which is why it seems to me like I've always taken it as the Coen Brothers actually utilizing the um, third person narrator as an actual factor into the story. Yeah. Do, and that's kind of how I always saw it, but a lot of people have assumed that it's, you know, Lebowski having uh, kind of a voice in his head, a uh, conscience of sorts. <laughs> but I don't know, that's what I've always kind of heard about. I mean, what's your kind of thoughts on that with Sam Elliott? I don't know. Honestly, it's not a part that I... I don't know why. It's not a part that I've thought about overly. I always... I was always in... I don't know. I guess I kind of always thought it was the cowboy. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm just, I just like I just thought guy at the end. I was like, he also that's... speaks like a cowboy because that's how. Well, he... it's just San Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's obviously more to it. Yeah. I always was just like, yeah, that's who it is. But there's pro- like there would be a deeper meaning. You see, like why? Why is he? Why you know? Why like is... sometimes I, I the walls just blue, but it's yeah. a random ass cowboy who exactly. knows everything about it. Exactly. Life. Like it's like a seven why? Yeah. Like, so watching me fall. That's kind of yeah. That's kind of one part of it that I've never really been able to like see. And I guess that's kind of the beauty of it because the way it's written, it's understated enough that he could just be a random cowboy at the bully yeah. like, That's the thing. He doesn't yeah. have to hit you exactly. on the head and be like, "This is the narrator." Exactly. exactly. Like it's so kind of open that that's you know to like, the air. Well, I don't know. Like there's so much random stuff happening. Like random, but not random yeah. in the sense that you know I'm like it could just be could just be nothing more than the cow you know what i, I mean, mean it's not it's not like the coen brothers haven't gone that direction before yeah. like it's not like they haven't decided in the past hey let's just go fully interpretive yeah and then they have they absolutely have and uh, i think uh we talked about true blood or, or not true blood sorry true grit yeah. we talked about true grit earlier very, uh, different. very yeah. different movie uh one of a lot of also correct uh, well, with true grit there was a similar situation where uh you had buddy on the horse wearing the bear skin over him he yeah. just randomly shows up at one point, kind of as like he shows up, I think, twice. And you never, you never find out who he is, <laughs> but he just kind of shows up twice at these moments of despair for Maddie Ross. <laughs> and I find that kind of fascinating because it's sort of a similar writing tool and narrative tools we're seeing with the cowboy. I find except the cowboy's obviously a lot more direct, genre, what have you. But I feel the actual place in the narrative structure that fits is very similar to what we see there. I mean, those two movies are like twenty years apart, same directors, twenty years apart. You know, I um. And I find it's very interesting to see these similarities that you can find, like these narrative threads that kind of mm-hmm. are still so similar. Because we were talking uh, talking earlier about how this movie is kind of like your layman person just stumbling his way through a bigger plot. And mm-hmm. I think while that is accurate, I think what it also does, though, is it shows <laughs> kind of how these normal people would react. Like I said, how you're taking in cost of a filled water and putting it in the way. And not in the sense of, uh, not in the sense of a movie like Heat. 
where mm-hmm. uh, where it's like a lot more gunfire. But I do love this sort of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead element of this movie, where uh, mm-hmm. with the Walt with Walter and um, Dude, uh, you know, you have introductions of people like the Jesus, and I, I find it funny that to this day, uh, John Turturro uh, plays that role so well that to this day he will still well, you don't fuck up with the Jesus, you know what I mean, and. The fact is, I can't think of another character that has gotten so many people doing the joking quote of fucking eight-year-olds. Like, the whole, this, yeah, it's a pedophile. Yeah. Like, this guy's a pedophile. They utilize this as a joke in the 90s, and it still lands. That's the it's weird part. So, so what? Like, it, all, all of that, all, like, all of it just works so well. What if I told you that you had a spinoff movie? Oh, yeah, see, yeah, I yeah. thought about that. In fact, I think I've watched part. It is. A while ago. Not as good as Big Lebowski. Yeah, I don't necessarily. Yeah, I it wasn't. We start, I think I might have started it and then not watched the whole thing. I came out like three years ago. It did not have any of the input from the Coens. I had no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Turturro basically took the character and he remade a French film as an American film, but with his character from Big Lebowski, the Jesus, now taking yes. the place of another character from the original story. Yes. And he turned that into a spinoff. I think he directed it, if I'm not mistaken, too. I feel like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Right. And then he followed it up with the Batman, so that was a total whiplash. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Let's talk about that. Yeah, we yeah, we just had another episode where we were talking about Batman. I was oh. telling John Tajuro, I was saying, it's crazy to me just to see how how much range this guy has. And again, much like John Goodman, um, the Coen brothers seem to know how to write John Tajuro. It's, it's in so many other films. Yes. Else. And uh, this particular case, it's like he's got this suave kind of, you know, sleazy level of um, sleazy, sleazy level of movement happening with the Coen brothers. And just to see how stoic and, you know, he's Carmike Falcone of the Batman. So in, in that way, he's a lot more like villainous. It's like it, that sort of thing I just love. And I love how the Coen brothers are taking these strengths of these, uh, these actors and trying to apply them in. Like, I can't help but imagine they must have had some of these people in mind when they wrote the script. I feel like, yeah, I was actually, so I was listening to, so the one who designed this, Mary's Offerys, she's done a lot of the Coen Brothers films. I've listened to a lot of her stuff, and it's very interesting to hear what, you know, kind of like pre-work was done. Like, it sounds like the Coen Brothers, yes, often have people in mind for like who is going to play these characters, but the actors, it sounds like, also tend to be people that like, you know when you fit someone and they just like like they just like come into character so like they start posing the same way yeah like they're really really seem to be people that yeah it's like you get into a fitting they just like it's like visual i mean everyone's kind of visual in this industry but it's very like you know you get them in they see the stuff they really get what it helps them feel like they are now becoming yeah and there's so apparently many times too when they've written scripts it's been like they've kind of gone around everyone that's going to be on the show before it actually gets picked up so there's often been like months before that they've kind of had like in preparation it sounds like from what i've listened to so i think that's probably something too like you know if you got contacted six months before whatever the thing's actually going to start it's like okay you can really like and the call on you definitely safe too yes yes so Jesus's costume, I love that he has two suits that are just different colors of the same thing, and he has his name embroidered in each outfit. It makes me think he has seven of them in different colors for each day of the and week. The thing that's so good about it is not only like 
are the costumes for him and his like you know bowling like team <laughs> so on point it's the fact that they're so on point that when you look at like the dude and their little team it shows like how absolutely just like disorganized and like the <laughs> stuff they are you know what i mean like it's like you've got jesus with his like hair net and they're all about their matching shirts and like blah 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 basically he, like jumping over to like the dude and like walter walters at his like army stop the dude's got his like elasticated shorts on and they're all just like and walter airheads walter's color is always yeah. uh is always like on point for like military standards yeah like you can tell yes. like yes. whoever did the finals on this show for on set costumes so is yeah. such so a good. hero like so they're so, so it's like perfectly imperfect like the perfect ones are perfect and then the dudes like I know it's it, like it, to to people that aren't in costume, it probably doesn't even sound like a big deal. You know what I mean? But it's like to have someone look disheveled, but in a perfect way. Like you know that there was so much thought that actually went into that. Exactly. Like, it they it wasn't just like oh it's going to be disheveled, so we're just going to like leave them like that. Like there's yeah. definitely so much more to it. And it was shot on film. I'm pretty positive it, it was shot on film, which is like there's just less like you have less chances like you always have less chances generally because like there they can't just you have to get it right like, you know you have to get it right like the first or second kind of time especially since i think they were like indies too technically so they probably didn't have like crazy big lebowski big lebowski uh had i believe universal backing for their budget well, you look at the cast. It's it's John Goodman, ja, Jeff Bridges, Steve Buscemi. Yes, yes, but I don't. Yeah, John yeah, they definitely had backing, but I don't know. If, well, yeah, so I guess they might have had the same. Definitely has the appeal to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm always interested when I see Cave of the Union. You know, I that even. Big Lebowski definitely says, I, I will guarantee you that. But uh, I'm actually just like, listen up now because now you got me wondering. And now I realize that I said 1996 earlier, and it's a 1998 movie. Yeah. Not a not a great day for Captain. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the budget for Big Lebowski was fifteen million. It wasn't an indie, but it was a nice mid-range budget for a movie like that. Yeah. Bear in mind, at this time, they'd already done Fargo, they'd already done a fair number of movies, right? But yeah. definitely yeah. had the preparation time. Well, that needed to like that. the character walks on screen. In that movie, with the way they're dressed, I feel like they're entirely embodied by what their costume is. You know exactly who they are by walking. And as soon as they start talking, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. They're wearing that stupid hat. Yeah. Yes, okay. yes, yes. No, it really makes sense. I mean, they had, yeah, and a lot of it, like a lot of it was thrifted. I know most of the dude stuff was thrifted, which I think would make sense. Also, Jeff Bridges' personal wardrobe. Yes. So he actually, I was so interested to see who came up with the jellies. You know, the jellies yeah. that is in the back. Like that is just, oh, just the epitome of greatness. And those were Jeff Bridges, actually. Apparently those were his clear jellies that he had the idea to bring on. Like, isn't that just genius? And his sweater was... Yeah, I believe the sweater... Yeah, one of the sweaters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then a lot of the other stuff, apparently it was like Venice Beach and like West Side LA. Well, you know, his kids did say that apparently when he got the script for Big Lebowski from his agent, mm -hmm. uh, his son looked at the script and said, so did they, like, meet you ahead of time and write this character? And they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, because it turns out Jeff Bridges is essentially the dude. Yeah, yes, yes, I kind of heard that. Apparently he was described in the script as, what was it, 
terminally chill or something. It was like, yeah, terminally chill or like terminally late. Like it was like something like that. Yeah. Like, wow, that's so good. And they just, yeah, I guess they just, they really got it. Yeah, I gotta say, I, I worked at Cineplex about 13 years ago uh, over on Burrard Street in Vancouver. And when the movie, uh, when the Avengers came out, the first Avengers movie, we had this one screen there they told us, okay, everyone has to be like extra careful because in this one theater currently we have two notable people seeing the movie and we had, uh, one of them was, um, uh, one of them was, uh, Anthony Stewart head, uh, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who was Giles from Buffy. And then two rows in front of him was Jeff Bridges, who, uh, he was in town shooting the sun. And so we were the movie theater across the street from the sun. So we often had celebrities. I'll tell you this, Jeff Bridges comes out. And, uh, of course, like when it comes to everybody wanting to clean the theater, like, oh, well, I'm going to make sure to clean theater too once it's over because everyone wants yeah. to catch a glimpse of bridges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he ends up coming out and after the movie finishes, he gets out of the theater. I got, I got to tell you, man, if you were to tell me that he's dressed in character as the dude, I would have believed this is just, that was just him. He had the long hair going down. He had the big sweater vest thing going out like that. The loose fitting clothing, the. And that was just Sunday afternoon, Jeff Bridges seeing a movie. I was so stoked on this. <laughs> it's weird to bring that up as like a celebrity sighting when I've worked in film for like 13 years. Yeah, but it's just yeah. Jeff Bridges vibes. Yeah. New vibes. Really. New vibes. Real dude. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Did you guys know that? Did you know there's a dude religion? Kind of. It is true. Dudism is an actual uh, religion you can put down in your senses, much like Jedi. <laughs> now we know what Victoria is doing next sentence. <laughs> so funny. So, like, eventually in the future, when you get married, it's just a dude with long hair and a sweat vest being like, whatever, man, just like, go get married. Literally, you barely don't, you know, do whatever you want, man. Make sure there's an open bar if you invite me, man. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, white Russia too. Yeah, that was okay. So they had it. They actually, um, for the what was it, the 25th anniversary, I think, of the Big Lebowski. They played it at the Rio a couple weeks ago, right. which I went to. Hell yeah, so funny. Just like like going back to like how it's such a cult classic and stuff. Literally, it, like it was so funny we like roll up and there's just like all these people in robes everyone just showed up in yeah. robes i have like three wh- like white russians it's awesome it was just awesome oh god i don't think i could do three white russians my stomach would handle that i love a white russian two white russian two white russians and my stomach is starting to get a little oh yeah no no i was all it was yeah. great it was great that's fantastic you know i mean for embodying the- i was i was it's kind of crazy to think though this movie came out in 1998 now so we're looking at uh, I guess we're looking at 20, yeah, 25 yeah, years. Right, yeah. So 25 years now. And just just what you just said, like, this movie did not do well in theaters, but somehow, some way, it has been transgenerational. There are people exactly. in Gen Z right now quoting, doing, like, TikToks of Big Lebowski and stuff like that that you'll see. You'll still see, like, our, our parents and our own generation love this movie. And for whatever reason, I've never met somebody who didn't like this movie. It's literally, it's actually the year I was born. Huh? Not like the other <laughs> Congratulations. You know what I'm saying? You're the dude. I am the dude. No, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. It is pretty crazy. And it's like, you look at the impact of some of these things. I and mean, it's, you know, if somebody would have said back then that this like little two hour movie about slacker Jeff Bridges 
smoking weed while trying to half-ass solve a case would end up being this like not just called classic but turns this huge phenomenon like way but like way down the line like we said you got religion of it now you have these festivals of it now they had if i'm not mistaken they had a ginormous big lebowski festival over in la uh yeah, for the 20th anniversary fight yeah for the pandemic there was uh some sort of festival it's like you know you don't see these happening for a lot of movies of that era you don't see uh you don't see giant festivals for movies like speed which oh. i love speed don't get me wrong but it's yeah no, kind of gives you an idea of what's talked about you don't have yeah you don't have religions coming out about you know, uh, John Goodman on Roseanne. Like, so it's just, it's kind of crazy to me because the Coens have done this a few times where they managed to just pre- make these films that even if they didn't in the first place capture the public conscious, they did at a point mm-hmm. or another down the line. Even now we have uh, a lot of movies where people, there's people who will argue that their best movie is The Hudsucker Proxy, which was like a movie that did not do well in the theaters. Fantastic movie about the adventure of the Hulu. Um, mm-hmm. But now you have people sitting out and saying like, well, that was actually the best movie. It's like, mm-hmm. that was a movie no one was talking about for 20 years. Well, I mean, another thing too that I've always, but I mean, I've thought of, especially in the past like five years about The Big Lebowski is the way that it is so different from like our current, not not just political climate, but like, you know, it's so like, it's so relaxed with the dude. The dude yeah. is so relaxed, like doesn't care. Just, you know, like it's like chill, chill, chill. But, you know, like, through the, we have the pandemic, we have all this stuff with Russia, we have all this crazy political stuff. But, like, so I can see why people are, like, gravitating towards something like that, because it's so just, like... Which is funny that it took place at a time where they were at, where uh, we were at war with... Uh, the, um, us in America were at war with Iraq at the time, and there was a lot of conflicts. So it's interesting. Yeah, like, it's very... It's kind of, like, I can see how... I mean, obviously, that's not the only reason. Oh, I see it, honestly. I see how, like, especially you know, people of my age and stuff in the past, like, five, six, seven years would really gravitate towards something like that because now it's becoming so, like, it's such a contrast. Yeah. And almost films that went the other direction where they always went, they always went more war propaganda and war is good and, yeah, you know, the glory of war. This feels like the, like, a realistic version of what it was like to live at that time. Instead of the the hyped up version that we sometimes see, well, it's kind of peppered into the movie. Like you get elements of like it's not in your face, but the environment of the era definitely plays its part. Like you have people saying things uh, about Saddam that are very yes. big on that era, and of course, we kind of had a second go of that in the Iraq War of the two thousands, yes. yeah. um, which was just a pointless, pointless war. But <laughs> but uh, with that though, like you know, even as uh, even as dream and his whole uh dream with the kenny rogers song that just checked in but even that like the guy doing the shoes it's stop insane it's not because this guy's worried but it's because this is the environment this is you can't escape hearing about it you can't escape that so even in his uh fantasies there's still that element there right? that's why i always thought about the dude is like this guy's like you almost have to wonder if he's a pacifist as like a self-defense as like a defensive maneuver kind of thing yes 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 to like save himself from is it from the actual stress of it all, yes. right? Which, by the way, I want to bring back up that moment, uh, that sequence of just checked in. The I love this sequence so much. It is so aesthetically pleasing the whole way through. That it's perfectly edited. It's like it got has this cabaret feel to it, but not. But it's like it feels like it's a weird dream, but it has kind of that gold diggers in nineteen thirty three kind of feel. I uh, I I love that sequence so much. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, I was just. Again, it was like the first time I saw it, 
And then it was the only part of the movie where I was like, oh, that was very amusing. It's like now, seeing it now, being able to understand the bigger context of the movie, that scene is so is equally great, but for so many other reasons. The first time I saw that, I had smoked some weed. <laughs> because, you know, as you do. But actually, so the first time I actually saw this movie was one of my ex-boyfriends years ago, and he was like, you have to just get back to watch the big bus. Like, that's just what you have to do. You just have to do. Yeah, yeah, and you can recall. Yeah, I can, you know, sure. And I remember this sequence, and I was just, like, so, like, the costumes were so good. The, like, everything was just so good. I literally was like, we have to pause this. Like, I can't deal with my brain now. Like, my brain is just, like, exploding. Like, yeah, I, it's so good. It's so good. The costumes. So one thing with the costume that I love about that scene is um, these kind of half-assed mixing two different kind of fantasies here. So he, of course, <clears throat> loves bowling, is constant, uh, constantly bowling, got all the bowling stuff happening, the porno in his head is called gutter balls, yes. stuff like that. And what I love is that if you look at his outfit, because it's still supposed to be a porno, he's wearing like a bowling shirt version of the fucking handyman coming over. Yes. Like it's inexplicable why he has this tool belt and all these tools. He's got a handyman virgin, but then it's got his name so like a bowling shirt. Why is it bowling know. shirt? It's so it's so funny. Part of me wonders if it's like from like a reference to, you know, like the beaver flick or whatever. Well, I think it was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when, uh, I mean, right from the get go, it's supposed to be uh especially Yeah, going to the, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I love that. But I mean the the dancing sequence, like their costumes so good. And it's funny, apparently they had tried to do it first with, like, fruit or something, but they couldn't get it to work, so then they actually changed to doing it, like, with the, like, the bowling kind of... Really? Yeah. I now that they non-stick with the bowling vibe, pulling them out in the first place. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't very elaborate, and I just... I don't know, I thought it was... It, this deal is interesting to me that they wouldn't have gone with the bowling idea first. I know, I know, <laughs> other than I thought, too. I was reading it, and what? Like, why would that be... Well, especially considering now the scene's over with, it's like now the scene's done, and with the bowling, it's like one of the most iconic scenes. Oh, like yeah. Probably yeah. the most iconic oh, scene. Yeah. In that movie. yeah, like yeah, so good. I mean, the part too that I find like so she, so you've got the bowling stuff that makes sense. She's almost in like a like Maude is almost in gladiator. In like the yeah. Amazonian, yeah, like an she's got Amazonian, a smear like. One thing I love about though is um, it, it's actually an internal thing to show that. Lebowski's like Jeff Lebowski the dude and of course maybe I'm pulling all this out of my ass I don't know I've watched the movie so many times and this is like the first time I'm thinking about this is that when you're watching this this is basically that little reassurance in your head that he actually respects everything she's saying yes. like when yes. he is now fantasizing about her he's fantasizing about her the way she would want to be fantasized yes and I think yes. that's fascinating yes that's exactly what I was kind of thinking of like shows really you know like you yeah. mod feminist like yeah. sorry you know so like it makes sense her outfit actually reminds me of um one of the super old movie journey to the moon with oh, uh, the moon. Trip, yeah, yeah to the moon with yeah the moon race yeah yeah because so, it's like the old like it's not even like the gladiatorial thing and you know? all it's like a gladiatorial um in like a Brunhilde kind of way where it's almost like an opera, Viking opera. It's not even just she's a gladiator. She's a theatrical gladiator of like a Shakespeare type pronoun yeah. in an old black and white film as like, that's yeah. the vibe that it gives me. Also, you just said beaver pitcher and I just cannot get over how she uses that term in the movie. Oh, about the beaver pitcher? 
the picture of Wendy the Porous? What? I so love that. I know it's so good. It's so good. Well, and even the way she refers to money, like she won't just say like money. She's like, Flans, bones, slab. Like it's like, oh my god, it's funny. It's very funny. It really shows. So it's about the crack of the jaw there, Lebowski. Please see my doctor. I show you, he's good. I'm so. Yes, I feel all right, Ben. Please, please, I don't want to be responsible for any long delayed, uh, long delayed injuries. Please do see it. He's good. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he, like, when he finally clues in, Ben, when she's, like, literally in the, like, squatting position, like, doing you know, the yoga, and he's like, oh. <laughs> oh, well, you know, she does it. It's just so funny. No comment. He, oh. Well, that's the whole thing. He's just like, he just got told he doesn't have to raise the kid or anything. He's yeah, just yeah. like, oh, all right. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, my God. Like it's like yeah it's like your whole like how much will pass this, this guy his whole freaking house is destroyed and you just found out he's gonna be a dad unknowingly it's like, like all right cool okay <laughs> i still love it i know i mean even the end of the movie though it's like you wouldn't get to the end there and we've gotten to the nihilist only to find out the nihilist really had no place in any of this plan they just, they no, just they tried to take advantage of it yeah they just thought they can get involved and get taken advantage and just like for all the talk talk that Walter does throughout the movie, uh, it's honestly so cathartic to watch that he actually has the ability to back it up. When it's, you know, with a bowling ball, he takes out the first dude, bites the other guy's ear off, smokes the other one in the face with a fire hide or a fire extinguisher. Just that old moment where you see uh, before he smokes the last dude with a fire extinguisher, just, just take the money, man. Just tell him, money, money. You want to go, man? Just take the money. Like, try to fight Lebowski and, like, yeah, try to warn him off, like, what, $17? <laughs> so good it's so good and the part oh my god we didn't talk about the um when he pulls out his uh oh my and like go on why are the lines that's a world of pain <laughs> i know a line he uses on the kid later on by the way i know yeah are you well being on billy you're about to enter a world of pain. it's a Jeez. I know, like, it's so, he's so, like, jaded. Like, it really just shows how jaded, you know? It's like a very, it's it's a small, oh, really. And you saw the kid dad, and he's like this oh, yeah, elaborate bird. You get in a scene. The, the Iron Love. About the Iron Love. Yeah. yeah. And this guy's supposed to be, like, a writer branded for, like, 130 yeah. episodes, which was a real show, but. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was an actual show. I, when I first, um, I actually had to look that up. I thought Brandon was like a bounty law type situation from uh, Westmont Town in Hollywood or it was like yeah, East fake. Yeah. I, I had no idea. My millennial ass had no clue that was a show in the 1970s. Yeah, uh, yeah for any boomers listening, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but what I loved about that scene is, um, yeah, so he freaks out over the line, over the line. If you actually pause the movie, he was over the line. His foot was a toe over the line. Walter was completely correct until he pulled the gun out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the dude knows it, too. He literally was like, oh, so what is his foot slipped? Like, yeah. Whatever, you know? It's, it's the rules. I, it's a league game. It's a league game. You ought to follow the rules. Yeah, like, he's just like, oh, <laughs> this is not like being known. Like, I'm not on the rules here. I'm going to shut down something. <laughs> oh, my God. Why are they only give us a shit? Yeah. I, I know. Uh, and everyone's heard it so many times that, like, here we go again. You can just see on their faces. They just completely disengage from the conversation. Yeah. They're like, yep. As soon as he starts Jesus, talking, you know. The next time with Jesus, you know, yeah. and then Jesus comes up. If I see you pull out your piece. I will take the shit out of your hand and stick it up your ass and pull the trigger till it goes. 
And like just the irony key, like oh so then it's like after that scene. So they go out to the car and the dude's giving Walter like at the chat, like you can't do that, man. Like you can't do that. Well they get in the car, the cops pull up behind them to like go in and look for them. And they're just like so oblivious. They're just like in the car, oh you know, let's go. So like, like hilarious fat that just day. yeah, like they're just like completely missing, like the cops are going in for them, they've already got out, but they have no urgency whatsoever. <laughs> And that's the thing he's saying too. He's like, he's a conscientious objector, man. He was a conscientious objector. Which, if a lot of people know, in the Vietnam era, a conscientious objector means that they were a draft dog. <laughs> Which is the way that people said that to not call themselves a draft dog. Yeah. So I love that as he's trying to explain to him. So not only that, Walter, like Walter's got extra vitriol against Buddy, who we pulled the gun at because he was a Vietnam vet versus a draft dodger. <laughs> So it's just like these are deep levels of like conflict that I think about when I see this movie. Like I didn't think about that until last night. No, exactly. Like you think about the stuff the more you watch it. The more you watch it, you like pick up on these little pieces. Yeah. That yeah, a lot of people either don't pick up on it. You take a couple Maybe it takes a few times to watch. To pick up on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like at first you think you're which is where it goes back to like first you think you're watching something that's just pure like comedy, you know, and then as you like continue watching it, it's like you pick up on little things that are Still funny, but funny in a way that, like, means... Yeah, something that feels land. Like, yeah. another show that's really good about was Arrested Development, which I feel yes. Arrested Development has a very similar, especially the first few seasons, has a very similar um, comedy and dialogue structure mm-hmm. as Big Lebowski. I can't help but feel that there was some influence from the Coen brothers in that dialogue. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's that sort of concept where it's like, you know, you don't just have the joke. You don't have... You know, the guy falling down is is not the joke here. The guy falling down is a guy falling down where the joke in the background is everything that happened from when he fell down. Yes, on top yes, of that, this yes. joke and hide that because, yes. you know what I mean? That's what I actually love about it. It's layered comedy. And maybe that's why this movie didn't click theatrically yes. at first time around. Back in those days, you know, those days only really being five years ago, if you're going to see a movie in the theater, you're paying to see it in the theater, you're not going to be able to see that movie at home for another six months. Exactly. So exactly. if you don't like it the first yeah, time around, why are you going to go rent it? Yeah, that's so true. That's so there's also so many layers to digest as well yeah the movie and i think that gives it an insane rewatch value oh 100 but it's not something that i think would be an immediate that logic it makes sense that it's not an immediate success because it's so much to take in you actually have to watch it many times That's to see all of yeah. these things no it's so true i mean i've it's also like i've heard it described i mean this is kind of how to describe it people's Describe it as satirical comedy. It is. I went totally, like, I would totally agree with that. But the other thing that's funny that totally backs this up is actually, so this past Christmas, Christmas 2022, I made my girlfriend only watch the movie once, okay? You're like a big bat, Lou. This is twice in the last five months. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I've watched it all the time. All the time. We used to watch, like, the Polar Express when I was a kid with my family, and then I kind of, we all kind of grew out of that. And I was like, You all realize how scary all those things looked in that movie so um yeah this year i was like okay like that's it like we're watching the big lebowski my sister's never seen it my dad hasn't seen it since it like came out probably you know like we're gonna watch it. yeah and so it was like class me and my mom she knows she's very similar to me we're like loving it it's great of course it's like my favorite movie no one else like no one else got it but my sister was like why do you like that's not even that funny like why do you like you know and it's so just like she like 
Yeah, it's really, it's like a layer thing. Like, it's not, it's an easy watch, kind of. But if you want to get everything out of it that there is to get out of it, it's not an easy watch, you have to think. You know what I mean? It's easy in the sense that the pacing, I find, is a very breezy pacing. The movie never slows down. It never really speeds up either. It just kind of stays at this nice, like, it drives at 60 kilometers an hour consistently throughout the whole movie. You know what I mean? Like, and it's a movie you can easily just throw on in the background. Uh, The dialogue, for me, the dialogue at this point would make me laugh my ass off. Watching it, but you are right. Like it's it's so crazy because it is a very rewatchable movie. You are right, and I mean that must be the reason why this movie became the hit it was through home video rentals. Yes, yes. Well, and I can see so so for her. I remember her kind of comment like she was just like, "Well, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I just don't get it." And I was like, "Well, like, what do you mean?" She's like, "I just don't get it." And then I'm like thinking about it, and it's like, "Hey, she just yeah, like just didn't get it." And I'm like, "Okay, I guess if you really watched it." only expecting it to be like surface funny no thoughts nothing i can see how you could watch it and just be like like what just transpired yeah you know what i mean yeah. like it was kind of i don't know you just kind of have to go into it with an open mind and just be open to be like i'm watching this movie for whatever it is yeah and it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah like so yeah i don't know though that that was kind of funny too just to it is interesting because like and what i find kind of interesting is that everybody seems to have a different part of this movie that they love my yeah. mom, her favorite line in this movie is not any of the ones that you would expect. Yeah. Her favorite moment in this movie, favorite joke, is when the Big Lebowski's guy is grabbing him from the one limo and putting him in the other limo. And uh, he goes, hey, man, hold the bed yes. Just yes. that one line. Yes. My mom laughs her ass off every time she hears that. And it's yeah. like, but it's fascinating because like, I like it. It's a funny line, but I wouldn't even put it in the top 20 in the movie. But that's one of those lines that's a bit like it's, it's a bit film noir reference. Yeah. Like it's very, I don't know, a bit cheeky. The one that I probably, my favorite is, um, Oh my god, I might like butcher it, but it's the one where they're talking about the beaver flick and Maud's showing him that he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, you know, oh, you can guess what happens next. And he's like, oh, he fixes the <laughs> that was like, such a great so throwaway line. Like it's so good. Just like the little pieces like that. But like, see that like that sign my sister just wouldn't I didn't be like Sorry, Grace, I love you. I mean, <laughs> you know like I love when Maud is showing the beaver picture. I'm going to keep calling it that. I love when Maud is showing the beaver picture at first, and she's just like, just, she's just like commentating on it as it goes, as if she, as if it's like this should be an art film of some sort. Because she was, yes. uh, but I'm, I didn't see it's very, it's very, uh, not close to lighting in the story. In the story is very weak, and it's just like, it's like, yeah, it's a bad word. I'm with it. Yeah, are talking about the story and the lighting and the acting. It's fucking terrible. I can't see what one Maud wanted was this for be for the beaver flick to be a just part. No way. Oh man, he's watching it play right now. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I just really love about this movie that I feel the Coens. I, I, I'm talking about the Coens as a whole quite a bit here because this movie is very representative of a lot of what they did throughout the '90s, early 2000s. There's a reason why Coen Brothers scripts don't tend to usually do well when somebody else directs them, mm-hmm. but when Coens direct their own scripts, they're fantastic. Right. The reason why is exactly what we're talking about is so much of the humor is not going to be in the dialogue. So much of it is how they're going to be putting it forward, what happens around it, the environment around it. Like one of my favorite funny moments in this movie has very little dialogue in it. It's just the, and it all comes down to the framing of how they didn't do this, where you got the dude inside Maud's place. You got the one guy with the newspaper and like the John Waters mustache. He's like, <laughs> just like giggling. And just that shot of just him standing like, Looking at the guy Gala and the way they framed it and everything is just freaking hilarious. Just for he's like, what the fuck is this guy, man? 
And I love that. And but how do you get that across in a script, right? A script yeah. doesn't just read and then he sits next to this weird dude looking like John Waters and he says, Who the fuck is this guy? Like it could anybody reads that script nowadays go, okay, cut that line, cut that line, cut that line, you know what I mean? But that kind of goes to show what happens when directors like these guys, and I'm actually very upset that they they've split up as directors now. Yeah. They, yeah, Joel Cohen has uh two movies he's done now, but Ethan Cohen actually has his first solo directorial coming out. And uh, the trailer looks excellent, and it looks nothing like the Coen Brothers movie. Did you the see dialogue it? is there, though. It's... Yeah, oh, totally. The but... one, I haven't seen this yet, but I've been, like, dying to watch it. The Macbeth? The Tragedy of Macbeth. Yes, that was Joel Cohen. Yeah, yes, yeah. that was Jules. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it's... I've heard, I've heard from a lot of people that it's absolutely fantastic. It's, yeah. I mean... But here's where I find it interesting: the the dialogue and the writing is is a little bit different. You're, I think, we're now seeing. It'll be interesting to see the next few movies that they make separately because they've been a unit for yes. thirty years, yes. and so we're now going to start seeing, for lack of better words, who brought what to the table. Yes, yes. And currently, what I'm noticing is that the dialogue in *Tragedy Macbeth* with uh with Joel Cohen's work is uh it's fantastic, but it's very different than what we've heard. A lot more natural, a lot more theatrical in some ways. Those are two opposite words. But uh, meanwhile, the new Ethan Cohen flick that's coming out right now that he directed and wrote, uh, the dialogue from, it's called Drive Away Dolls, by the way. It's uh, the trailer's out for it. It looks excellent. But the dialogue is absolutely Cohen Brothers on point. But it looks nothing with Cohen Brothers. It gave me a very um, Edgar Wright vibe with the way it really got yeah. together for the trailer. It was... Yeah. A lot more like modern, yeah. If that makes sense. No, I agree completely. Uh, I will say though that that's actually our time, and uh, yeah, it was wonderful talking about this movie. I I love Big Lebowski. I was so great to be able to dive back into it. Yes, yes, yes fantastic. Love talking to it about it. Like minded people. What's your thoughts? If anybody wants to, you can buy a Blu-ray of the Big Lebowski in our link descriptions, uh, as well as Prime Video rentals. Thank you very much. We will link uh, Victoria's Instagram and any socials for your fashion work. Bloody soul work, please. Very welcome. Victoria, thank you very much for coming here. Yes, thank you.